Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Yo, and welcome to the 63rd episode of Lake of Rage, a Pokemon trading card game podcast. I'm your host, as always, Kevin Clementi, a.k.a. Mellow underscore Magikarp. I'm joined today by a very special temporary guest host. Joining us for the third time, I believe it is, we have the man who is fresh off of a top eight at Milwaukee Regionals, Tord Reklev. Hello. So I got a very special episode for y'all today. We're going to talk to Tord a little bit about his run in Milwaukee, how he came up with the absolutely broken, new, never-before-seen deck that he brought, how the tournament went for him, as well as how things are going to change for NAIC after Milwaukee's slightly unpredicted results. So, Tord, I think the very first thing I want to ask, though, based off of the unpredicted results, we'll get into NAIC in more detail, but which had the less likely top eight or the more surprising top eight, Melbourne or Milwaukee? Well, on, honestly, on a, on a personal level, I feel like Melbourne had a more surprising top eight because it's, it's really difficult to get eight of the same deck in top eight, no matter how good a thing is. So, um, but it was uh, it was cool to see like some more diversity in uh, in Milwaukee. Um, I know like the Duraludon and the Blizzard deck was a surprise to many, but if you like from the Japanese meta game, and it was like the online meta game, it shouldn't be that crazy of a surprise. The decks are not bad, right? Uh, I mean, obviously they have their flaws, but with the right matchups, right text, right metagame, obviously you could see that they were both able to go the distance, right? So I, I think that was pretty cool. And uh, yeah. Blissey Miltank's an interesting one. When you bring up the Japanese meta, it seems like a deck that is A, incredibly popular, and B, incredibly successful in Japan, as well as online tournaments. And yet no one seemed to hype it up. We constantly put it in this tier two, or if you're Henry Brand, amoeba tier level of deck. And I'm curious to see if things are going to change, but we'll get into the future stuff. I want to get back to your run in Milwaukee, the first tournament in Astral Radiance outside of Australia. Uh, that's important because it was about four times the size, which is pretty, pretty relevant. And it was only a couple hours away from NAIC, which will be the last tournament in the Astral Radiance format. Starting fast and fast. So you played Palkia and Teleon, correct? I did. I did. How did you come up with that? And what made you lean towards playing the deck that, like you said, it took up eight out of eight slots in Melbourne? That seems like something that you shouldn't automatically gravitate towards. So how'd you kind of come up with the idea of like, this is the deck that I'm going to play. I'm not afraid of the counters, you know, all that other kind of stuff. How'd you come up with the deck? Well, honestly, I usually go for what I feel like is the most consistent deck or the deck that has the most even matchup spread, right? Like, basically, I'm, I'm trying to go 
towards some some sort of deck that I feel like gives me the best chance of doing well in any given tournament. And uh, like Palkias just seemed really, really strong to me. And I knew I was going to play against a lot of Palkia, right? So I tried to find a consistent way to beat it. But you can build Palkia in like a lot of different ways as well, right? Um, like you have the turbo version that does one thing really well, and then you have the intelligent version that can be hacked out, have all these uh, different tech cards, um, answers to everything you can try to throw at them, theoretically at least, right? So um, it was a pretty hard deck to straight up counter, um, unless you wanted to focus your whole archetype around trying to counter it, right? It was, uh, for example, when I tried to test Shifu against Palkia, it was not a lot of cards I could splash into there to beat it. And you might say, yo, what about Serora? Or what about Raikou, right? But they, they're they just not enough against Palkia. Um, Serora can be countered by Tool Gemmons, and then you need Tool Scrapper as well. And Raikou doesn't do anything else than stabilize for one turn, and it trades evenly. So that also doesn't really give you any sort of advantage. So like well, now I was struggling to beat Palkia, and I was thinking, you know what? Uh, if I just bring this deck myself, maybe I'll figure out if someone else figure, figure out a good way to beat it. And uh, through the tournament, it turns out that most people didn't figure out a good way to beat it either. So I had I had a pretty okay time playing it. I love what you said about Raikou and the Zero Aura as well, obviously. But like that was something that I said on last week's episode, and I keep having to tell people. And I assume you get the same thing where like people will DM you before a tournament, like, what do you think of this? What do you think of this? What do you think of this? And it's like the Raikou is a terrible counter. If your two prizer KOs a two prizer and then gets KO'd in return, you're not you're just playing extra jank in your deck. You're not actually beating anything. So, yeah, like you're stabilizing, right? But you you need something in your deck. Um, like your Raikou can buy you a turn of time, right? Because it's easy enough to get in play. But you need, still need something in your deck to gain an advantage again, right? So you can't just lean on Raikou the whole way because then that, that won't actually do it. So I'm kind of curious. You mentioned like, okay, Palkia trying to find something that beats it. Do you think your version of Palkia wins the mirror match? Or do you beat the turbo version only and the Inteleon version's a coin flip? Do you beat all of them? Or do you just get lucky? Nah, the, the thing is, right, I, um, I I tried to make a deck that was a pretty neutral going into uh, a random meta game, right? So I, I wanted to have like reasonably answers against most things, but there's nothing crazy in the list. The only thing that's kind of crazy is the Cheryl. Um, otherwise, the, the the list I played was very vanilla, I would say. Um, it just focused really hard on setting up. That's why it plays the Ford of Rita and also the Luminion. Uh, it gives you a lot of outs to the turn one VIP pass if you were to go uh, second. Um, the Starmie was in there in case I were to go up against Blissey, right? <laughs> Also pretty decent against Mill Tank. Uh, or like against Raluda, I mean. Um, as you can uh, deal with the first Arcus uh, immediately, so they don't have time to charge two Draludan VMAX at least. So um, when I when I was up against Raludan, I was able to take out the Arcus immediately, and then I just had to get through the one VMAX somehow. Uh, but it, it usually still turns uh, into a game of a play Roxanne, did you hit a healing card or supporter or whatever? No, I win. Oh, you hit it? Oh, I guess I listen. <laughs> so. 
So I'm curious about that Roxanne real quick. I mean, not just exclusively the Roxanne, but how good was Roxanne for you? Is it a card that you're like, yes, this is 100% a staple in the deck? Or was it a card where you're like, it was pretty good. It's probably worth considering. Well, uh, do I want to be honest here? You know what? <laughs> Roxanne is like the best card in the set, and it's not close and should be probably in almost any deck. But when, um, you, say, when you say any deck, is he, that like you're an behind, it's a really only? good combat card? So when you're saying like it should be no. in any deck, it's okay, not just Inteleon decks. No, like um, Eddie, which was on stream, he was playing it in me even because I. I, th- I think it's a really strong card, um, yes. just just in general. So, like, he, he was wondering if I should play it in me, and he came and asked me. And we tested a few games, and you know what? It was really good, <laughs> and, uh, especially against Intellion, because you, you just like camp with it, right? Um, just like you would camp with Marnie against Intellion, you could camp yes. with the Roxanne, and uh, then you could play Roxanne, and you could try to scam some games that way. Um, and it's kind of kind of effective. Two cards is not a lot of cards, so. It's very easy for a point if they need, say, two cards to close out the game, an attachment and a boss is usually uh, what most games need to be finished. Aroxan will usually deny that. So even if your opponent finds a supporter or a way out, they will probably miss another piece. Even through an intelligence, they will probably miss another piece, right? A gate that drills off the two cards and finds a boss, but they don't have the energy or the other way around. So Aroxan is a really good comeback card. and. I, I, a lot of times you can intentionally get behind so you can use the Roxanne before your opponent. So you can like come back and steamroll. Um, I didn't do it myself, but I, I know, um, like Fabian had, uh, like he passed a turn when he could take a KO just because he didn't want to be Roxanne and then Roxanne back and then he just steamrolled the whole game. So, like, Roxanne, Roxanne is a really good card. Is that one of those interactions that you think is people are going to finally start to catch up on? Of like, oh, if I go down to three prize cards remaining, I might just lose next turn. I'm not ready for that. Or do you think it's going to take a while for people to get used to, you know, the reset stamp and mechanic again? Yeah, we, we haven't had it in format for a long time, right? So it's definitely something people are not used to playing around anymore. It's 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 a really big deal. Um because up until this point, we didn't have any cards in the format that actually uh, that you had to think about before you went down on prices. Like, okay, we had Baby Moltres, right? So you could maybe consider that one. But like in general, there was not really much that you would want to play around by not taking knockouts. Um, but now you suddenly have a card again, right? So you might want to boss around and set up more damage on the opponent's field before you start taking knockouts instead, um, which is pretty cool. Like. Um, it's, it's really nice to uh, have a card that can punish four board states because that elevates the um, the skill gap between players as well, which I think is a cool thing, right? Not everyone might think that, but I, I think I think that's really cool because um, I like to focus on board states and uh, building building a good field before you go in to take prices. And I like any punish card is a good card in the format, I think. That's why I love Peter on being able to build that board state, having that stamp come back. It's <laughs> it always felt good of like, well, you can do whatever you want to my hand. I'm gonna play off my board the rest of the game. 
Yeah, like playing playing off the board is very underestimated. Um, when uh, when your hand can get get dealt with, right? Like you're sitting there with like one prize card left, the ten cards in hand, feeling like nothing can go wrong, and then you lose your hand, and then you realize, oh, actually, I need I still need a card or two to finish off this game, right? And now you don't have a hand anymore, and you can you can do comebacks against people. So another thing as I look at your list, there's one very obvious difference between your list and then the group that Riley Holbert and all of them played. And then we also saw like, I don't, I don't know what they're called, but like the squad from NA and their list. And it was, you played the four Aritas and everyone else played between zero to one. How did you come up with four Aritas? I mean, it gets a Pokemon and an item. That's an awful card, right? Why would you ever want to play that? That is uh, that is true, uh, but it's just really really good in uh, in the Intellion deck in general because you get at the very least you get two cards right. Um, you get to pick up the Drizzle, and you get to um, pick up an item card. So, like essentially, if you remember back to teammates um, or twins or whatever, that card was also very very good. But it was only activated when your pawn took a KO, right? Um, in this deck, uh, you can use it anytime you want. It's just really, really good. And uh, when you play a research, if you hit like two or three pieces you need, then you're usually really happy with with how the research turned out, and you're okay discarding cards to make that happen, right? Um, but with Rita, you can just grab the pieces you need for turn directly. Um, what makes this especially good in uh, in this deck is that you can pick up Bucket most times, um, which grabs double water, which is thing, uh, something you basically always needs for turn. And then you have Green in M play, which draws two, right? So you indirectly have card draw and hand attachment, fuel for your beast ability. Um, and board development in that you can pick up, say, a Drizzle that can pick up another card again. Um, and it also conserves all your ball cards, which lets you play um, like thinner lines of those as well, since you can um, you can grab the Water Pokemon directly with the Rita, right? So you, you can save out an Incense, for example, because you can grab Palkia Vista directly, uh, stuff like that, or Intellion directly. So you're saving out on... Uh, you're getting more space in your deck, you're just getting more consistent, and like you're just chaining Rita into each other is, is really solid. Um, and uh, like you, you basically, as soon as you started evolving and starting spamming those Eridas, there is nothing that can really go wrong anymore. You're not, you can't Marnie into that hand, resource into that hand. You just have a chain of Eridas going, and uh, I, f- I feel very comfortable playing the game that way. Um, and then rather take like the random draws off of the Greninia instead. Because um, then you have the best of both worlds. So you have a little bit of card draw, and then depending on what you draw, you can fill out what you're missing with the search cards again. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, another thing that appears to be missing from your list, I'm going to say the word missing, and you're going to immediately tell me why it's not missing, it's just bad. Uh, there's zero cross switchers in your list. Instead, you've just got Good old-fashioned boss. What made you choose to go against the cross-switchers that seem to be so prevalent in every other Palkia list? 
Honestly, crossword is pretty good. I, I kind of missed that. Uh, but it's just a matter of space. I might, might want to add them later, honestly. <laughs> uh, I, I, th I think they're really good. Um, maybe if I had tried more games with, with the crosswitchers, I would have um, wanted to go more in that direction. Um, like You can definitely play the deck without them, though. It's not it's not a crazy big deal. Uh, you do you get your deck a little bit more consistent, but it's you're losing out on power level. So that's a trade off. But I, I I think they're good. They're really good for power level in the deck, and it's nice to be able to like Melanie cross switcher for example. All at the same time, that's really good. You can cross switch your Roxanne. That's like super strong. Um, but they do take up a little bit more space, so you're losing out on on tricks, for example. Okay, so it's one of those things where it's just a matter of three to four cards is potentially too much, as opposed to the card's not good. Yeah, like um, two cross switches is the effect of one boss, right? So you can play one boss, you can play two cross switcher, and you have the same amount of guesting, right? But you can't boss and use another support in the same turn. So um, there's, uh, there's that, right? Um, the switch effect is actually kind of cool sometimes because Palkia has two retreat. So that could also come in handy. I um I, I don't want to say the card is bad though. I, I I do like it. Maybe I will try it more in the future. Are you going to be doing a lot of testing in this upcoming week, or do you feel like you've got something in the back of your mind? No, I I will still try my best to um see what I what I can test and be able to come up with. But I feel like I have a pretty good grasp of the meta game, so. Um, there's also just a few days left, right, until NIC, and I always tell people that you should try to lock in something as early as possible, so I probably don't want to swing too much from from the uh, the deck I, I think is really good. One more question about Palkia, and this one might ruffle some feathers, we'll see, but uh, did you see the list that, like, the NA squad played for Palkia? The uh, Bradner, Rahul, I'm pretty sure John, and I'm not sure if Franco was on the same 60 or not, but it was the oh, yeah, yeah. four battle VIP pass, a 3-3-1-1, three, three, one, one, I believe, or 3-3-2 three, three, in Tele Online with the Zigzagoon and the Mew. What are your thoughts on the battle yeah. VIP pass heavy and the three Sobbles? Is there anything in there that interests you, or do you just think that was good players? playing a good deck like and the the three souls i don't really like it i i can see where they're coming from because you usually build a board where you only have two souls anyway right because you you use one consistency spot for um for graninia regardless right so your field doesn't usually have spots for more than two souls but like turn one keep calling is still really good to just grab all the sobbles because it won't get knocked out. You have the rest of them on board, and that's that's really good. Um, if you're playing uh, against any matchup as well, and you prize one sobble, and one of them gets knocked out, that's also really annoying. So I, I I can't really stand behind only playing three of them. It's messing up your keep calling and you're getting price issues. Um, so I, I don't really like that, but I can see where they're coming from. Um, to save a spot, right? Um, I also think heavy VIP pass is is like okay. I can see where they come from there as well, because 
if you go first, right, you much rather have a VIP pass in your hand than Irida, correct? Um, but if you're going second again, then you probably much rather want that card to be Irida so you can grab a Pokemon too. Uh, it was also pretty light on supporters. Um, I think you're allowed to play approximately 10 of them these days in uh, in Intellon Engines. Uh, that's what I mean, like... Uh, playing in uh, Shifu for the longest time, and I feel like if, when I go above or below that, and it's uh, it's starting to get a little bit funky. Um, but around ten, so I I feel a little, I think I think this was a little bit light on supporters. Might remember wrong, but though it definitely had space for a couple more Iridas over the heavy VIP pass count. Um, so I, I I like that direction more, and also like to play the Luminium to guarantee. To get it, I I felt that was like more space efficient, but um, I can see uh, I can see both approaches working. It's it's not not a big deal. Another Japanese li- list has been playing heavy VIP pass for a long time as well, so it's it's definitely a completely fine approach that also works. So as you mentioned that, I want to kind of get into some of the tournament stuff, maybe some of the specifics of the rounds, and one of them is that Luminion that you talked about. So heading into the specifics of the tournament, how many games did having Luminion lose you? If any. Uh I don't think a single game actually. But it didn't win they did win me a ton of games. <laughs> like I I had so many funky starts that could only be saved by Luminion. Like a hand that just looks absolutely atrocious, but it has one ball out, right? And that means Luminion into VIP pass and another basic. So I can turn that one basic into three basics. And obviously that's a huge deal. Because if I bench one Palkia and it gets bossed, I lose, right? That's that's it. That's game over. But if I bench two of them and a Sobol, I get to play the game. So um, I think I think Luminion was a really big deal that uh, allowed me to uh, set up and, and play more games. It's also really cool because with um, uh, Roxanne in the format, right? Usually what you need to close out games, that, like we talked about, is a boss or so, right? And if you have a little fish swimming around in your deck, all your quick balls are outs for that boss as well. So not only level balls or incense or drizzle are outs anymore, but all the quick balls that are normally dead. Um, and that's the ball you play the most of. So it's kind of nice having that ball also be an out when you lose your hand uh, so that you can close out the game. So moving forward, do you think that Fish is just like 100% the move over Crobat? Or do you have any interest in testing out that Crobat that like Riley Holbert and his group had played? Crobat is also uh, a reasonable option. I also like the Fish because if you were to open with it, the Fish can swim away right back into the deck. Crobat cannot, right? Um, If you were to discard the uh, support Pokemon as well, either Crobat or Luminion, um, you can get it back with Nessa. And I really like to play Nessa in the deck. Uh, I guess it's like another card that's uh, like uh, debatable because a lot of people want to play the Rod over the Nessa again. Uh, but if you do play the Nessa, you can get back the Luminion if you were to discard it. And that plays around Echo Horn pretty well. So I, I like that aspect of uh, of it too. Just it being a water Pokemon is, is really nice. You can also pick it up with... Um, Irida, for whatever reason you have, but you can. <laughs> you can do that. Um, so that you have it available for next turn. Like, um, 
there are weird cases where the attack is pretty good, like just in general, because you can bench it and charge it with Palkia and then attack and shuffle it away, and then you can promote a Sobol. So you can, um, like, even without an Italian play, you can play the single price game with it. Um, say, if you need to KO or Regulecki or whatever, um, you can do that with Luminion in, in a Finch. So you heard it here first. Tord, the best player in the world, is pro fish. As you should all be. Yeah, I mean we love fish, right? So <laughs> we have to have to play the fish. The fish the fish the fish was super good. Um I uh, I debated it a little bit before the tournament, but I figured I'd much rather be safe than sorry, and uh, I was definitely safe. So thank thank you, fish. <laughs> <laughs> So now let's go back to round number one. So you're sitting down. You were a couple weeks removed from Vancouver where you just got your second place finish. You know, absolutely killed it, right? How are you feeling, yeah. though? New format, technically new country, I guess. One of your like six countries in four weeks or however many you've been to. How are you feeling? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> How are you feeling and what are you thinking before round one starts? I'm feeling really sleepy and like super jet lagged because I had like Thursday evening um, and uh, only had that one day to to readjust and it was definitely not enough. So um, I wasn't I wasn't feeling the best. Motivation was kind of low. Um, so I also started out kind of rough. I was um, two o two. Um, could have played faster, I guess. I ended up tying a couple games. Um, definitely wasn't playing at. Uh, at my at my absolute top there um and then i ended up i i started winning games again um after uh after looking at my score <laughs> and deciding i had had to try to get it together um but then i i found a mirror some rounds later uh, i think it was against uh poet larson um and he played really well, and I made a couple of like critical mistakes that uh, ended me costing me that uh, that mirror matchup uh, uh, in both in both games. So um, from there, uh, like all all my remaining matches was was kind of a roller coaster. I was I was drawing pretty poorly. I still felt like I played pretty well from that point on, at least, but. I was drawing pretty poorly, but somehow in the final moments of game three in in each match, my opponent just suddenly didn't have the card they needed, right? Like, always missed boss somehow or something else silly. Um, it really, I don't know, that's that's why I uh, wrote that I felt like I had the sickest plot armor, because I felt like I was out of this tournament so many times during day one already. Um, but they they never had it somehow, so so I advanced. It was it was kind of crazy. So what's going through your head? Because we've all been in those situations, right? You play out the game in your head a couple turns in advance. And you're like, they always win before I win. It's like, what are you thinking? How do you not get down on yourself, or how do you not make misplays because you're like, well, I'm gonna lose anyway, so why does it matter? Like, how do you get through that stuff to still play well? I'm like, it's always about playing to your outs, right? So I was, I was playing to my outs. I was going for win conditions. Uh, where like, okay, I can't, 
I have to play risky here, so the only way I win is if I go for this route and then miss uh, on the following turn. And uh, and that that happened like way, more than it should. Like you can argue that like since I was drawing probably in the beginning of the game, right? So if you look at the game as a whole, it wasn't that crazy to come out on top, but it just felt like really insane to me because I was already given it information that I was down bad in the game so um uh, it was uh uh it was just such a roller coaster of a tournament i um i haven't had that happen in in a, in a long time i had a lot of close games before but it just felt like really unreal the a couple of those those matches i had what what happened in those um there was also like in my last round of swiss uh, there was a couple um like critical game errors happening because like we're both tired and my opponent's been um like drawing extra cards off of Greninja under Pat and stuff and uh that uh that, that definitely like messed up our games like even games my opponent was ahead in and that was it, w- it was pretty silly um so a very weird tournament run for me overall especially during the first day um day two though day two I felt like was much more solid um, they too, I felt like I played better. I still felt tired, but it wasn't as bad. But I felt like I was much more on point during the second day uh, of play than during the first day. So before we get into day two, what did you end day one's record at? Day one, I actually ended at 6-1-2, which is a pretty good score, but um, I had to win the last two or three matches. Um, so I... Uh, I felt I felt kind of down, uh, like mentally for for a few rounds. But I was thinking, you know what? I I can still make I can still have a reasonably good score here if I just win out, and then uh, then I managed to do it somehow, though. <laughs> um, no, somehow's easy. Yeah, I mean, I I did play a pretty good deck, right? And I I knew the matchups reasonably well too. So, no, nah, it was just uh, it was just a roller coaster overall. It was a lot of fun though, for sure. Alright, so now we're heading into day two. On Sunday, you're six one two. You're ahead of all the nineteen point people. You're ahead of all the people who ID'd safely in. You know all those noobs, right? How? are you approaching day two are you saying i'm winning this entire tournament are you like i just want my money and then i'm gonna go catch up on my sleep schedule for naic like where are you mentally placing yourself or where are you putting that pressure on yourself no i'm i'm mentally looking for how many points do i need for top eight right so how do i maximize my chances here if i like if i get if i'm last place in day two that doesn't matter to me. It's like I, I'm either top eighting or I, I don't care. Uh, I just want to continue playing in the tournament. That's that's where my mental state is at. Um, so I'm doing my best to make to make that happen. But like with that goal, if you aim for top eight, if you probably get top sixteen, right? If <laughs> if you know what I mean. Uh, so it, it doesn't it doesn't hurt trying your best no matter what, right? And um, just aiming as as high as you can, but. I guess there's like uh, places where you can be like, oh, as last round of Swiss, if I ID, I'm guaranteed top 16. If I play, then I could make it, right? But I would, I would always play in those cases if 
if that's the question. I um, I, I I I just want to play play Pokemon and always see how far I can take it. I I don't really mind. That's, and as you can see, we have we have so many tournaments, and they've all been like so rapid as well, right? So. Um, I I always want to see how how far I can take it. Are there any matches that stood out to you in day two of like this one went really well or this one almost went really poorly or I made a super cool play here? Like, is there anything that stands out in those day twos, those rounds 10 through 14? That's like, oh, this was a really good one. I mean, the the best one was the one on stream, luckily enough. (laughs) It was really good. Uh, Yeah, and I was up against Rowan, um, and uh, we uh, we had we we were both like talking before the match began. We were saying, "Okay, we we really don't want to tie this because then we're both out, right?" And we we both want top eight. Um, he was he was kind of okay with like getting the tie for the top sixteen, but of course we we rather have the game finish, right? Um, so I was, I was asking if he wanted some sort of gentleman's agreement, if that was what he was looking for. But he was said, nah, because like top sixteen, the tie was fine for that as well. And it was also, it's also awkward to say find a win condition on prices when obviously he has the faster deck again, right? So um, that would be something I might not want to be looking into either. Um, it's also awkward to do that because then if both players know that's something you could actively play towards, right, and try to time it so that a game that normally would have gone the other way is, is something you can you can just try to take a prize lead, right, instead of trying to actually win the game. And then the opponent has to concede just because you have technically have the lead and that's what you agreed on, right? So you don't really want to be playing into that type of thing either. I have a question... Do they so gentlemen agreements are non-enforceable but legal, right? That's like a known quantity, exactly. and if not known quantity, anyone going to a regional should know it. Because if you make day two, there's a very realistic chance that your opponent is going to proposition you, blah, blah, blah. Uh on stream, have those is there anything about on stream that makes it a little bit weirder to make a gentleman's agreement? Or is it just like I'm just playing the game and there happens to be a camera on it? No, it's still it's still fine though. Um like obviously the stream don't know what's what's going on if you do a gentleman's agreement, right? But um I guess like that's something you could you could tell the judges so that they can tell the casters so that people know. But um as you said though it's not enforceable by by any means. It's it's just like a moral code, right? Um that you could do. Um like you both players would have to agree though, first, right? And then I think I think you should stick to it, of course, if you agree to it. But um, if you if the players don't agree to it beforehand, then obviously there there shouldn't be any need to uh, to feel to feel bad about it afterwards. But cool thing though, like we both really wanted to finish, so <laughs> we uh, we played at the speed of light uh, game three, so that we was sure we could finish. We, I think we finished before the time ran out, so we didn't even need plus three turns. That was kind of sick. Um, Pretty pretty cool stuff. I do have to, as a quick story, my favorite, my first day two at Portland, I was on a win and into top eight, and my opponent offers the gentleman's agreement going into game three. They're playing control, I'm playing Zoro Garb. And, 
you know, they offer it and I'm like, ah, yeah, sure. Let's go off prizes. And they're like, uh, no, I <laughs> like, obviously not. And they just throw out all these ridiculous things of like, you know, just all these things of like, how do you measure that? Like, where's this going? And by the time we got set up, there was like no actual agreement that we ever actually got to. And it didn't matter. I, I literally got hand locked without attacking. Like I dead drew so hard. It was miserable, but it was, I, a, I see, I see. It, it was, it was an interesting experience. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, uh, did you have anyone tell you speaking of that game? So game two, it was, you bossed Rowan's Genesect and there was no way for Rowan to move it. And, oh, no, that, no, that was, that was actually not it. I think that was what the casters thought happened, right? Oh, that's, but yeah, that's what they that said. Was, yeah. Yeah, that that was that was not how game two went down at all. <laughs> oh, wait, so, no, we need the inside scoop. Uh, Give it to us. Okay, I I tried to explain it in the winners interview after, but like basically, I was about to do my full combo on him. Right, I was uh, I was about to like grab my four prizes and Roxanne pat him, and you know just set myself up to like kill him on the following turn again, and. Uh, he uh, he didn't have time to see that happen, and uh, with the resources he was down, he uh, he had no time to, for that. So uh, when um, when he saw that I had to struggle a little bit to figure out the sequencing, then he was just like, you know what, I'm I'm conceding. Uh, let's let's go to the next one. Um, there was no like boss or anything involved here. It was just straight price trading, and he didn't like his position, so he conceded. So he went to the next one. Um, the problem here, though, though this, is, this is not his fault, but I had an incense in hand, and he knew I had an incense in hand, I also had Rizal, um and like a developed board. So it should be really easy for me to do the whole combo on him, but I had Price Machine Dealing Centelion in my last four prices. This is information he did not have, so pulling off this full combo was a little bit harder than uh, he thought, right? So... If he had given me two more minutes, then he might have seen that I might have missed the full combo on him, and he could have had a chance. Um, but uh, in almost all cases, I think his concede was pretty fair there. Like, he explained to me that if I just did the normal thing on him, he would need double heads of Silene into heads on Flipcatcher, and that was given that he drew out of Roxanne Pat. So... That sounded pretty unlikely to me as well. So his conceit seemed pretty fair to me. And then we would have time for game three. Okay, so that's something I... I mean, it makes sense. So when you like lay everything out, it's like 100% like, okay, I get, I get the scoop. But that was not... No, we were told watching it at all. So it's super interesting to hear what actually happened there. Yeah, no, I, I, I also got the memo that the casters didn't really know what was going on. Because... Like, I, I didn't even start my turn, so my turn looked pretty weak already, right? I I was about to set it up and do my thing, right? But he conceded before I started doing that. So from, um, from like, a board state position, but he knew, right? Um, he knew what was coming. Of course. Board state position, it looks like I was in real bad here, but I was I was actually doing fine that game, and uh, I was doing better than him. If you checked his discard pile, he was not doing that great. I do love, and I don't know if anyone's told you this, but the casters immediately said that you scooped and they were like congratulating Rowan on the top eight or the fact that he was going to make cut <laughs> <laughs> without realizing that yeah. Rowan was the one that scooped the whole time. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty funny, though. That's pretty funny. Um, the, 
it just goes to show that like there's there's a lot of depth to to the game still. I I think that's pretty cool, right? You can you can turn a game around in an instant. No, I agree. I think this format feels very good right now. Like there's just like a lot of stuff that can happen, and it's less of a dread end for two seventy three times and I win the game, right? Oh, my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> Crushing hammer, boss, dread end, GGs. Top eight. What did you play against in top eight? So in top eight, I ended up actually facing the eventual winner of the tournament. I was playing uh, Duraludon and Arcus. Um, but so you, that was that was pretty. You, hmm? I was gonna say you play no special energy, so you should just win, right? Yeah, well, you would think so, right? Uh, <laughs> I will. I will explain. So. Um, the uh, the Arcus Duraludon deck, really friendly guy, by the way. Just want to put that out there. I was I was happy to see him win in the end. Um, the Arcus Duraludon deck can play with a really low bench, meaning that Palkia's damage output isn't really high. You, you usually have like one on the bench, um, maybe two, but usually one. That means that uh, Palkia's damage output is uh, about 180, and 180 is pretty easily heal. Uh, healable, so you can uh, play Stadium, heal 30, and then you can Hyper Portion and heal another 120. So you can basically negate the whole attack that was done by Palkia. So you need to attack again, right? Um, so that just buys you a free turn. And every time the Reludon attacks, it's essentially taking at least one price, right? That's absolute best case for the Palkia deck. That means it's, it's trying to touch the Palkia, or it's killing a same price Pokemon straight up, right? Yeah, that makes sense. You're either Where's... like, if you're two-shotting a Palkia, you're taking a prize every turn, essentially. Exactly, exactly, right? So you, you, every attack you're getting essentially one worth of a price, right? Um, and uh, every time you attack with, say, Palkia, and threatening two-shot, you're technically taking one and a half, but if you are getting reset, right, uh, of the healing, then uh, you lose a turn. So it's it's a pretty close matchup, but with the healing, um, especially if, if the Rolone can heal twice, then you do lose the price trade, as long as they just attack each turn. And that's not that hard to do. And then you also have the boss problems. If you get bossed on Repalkia before it evolves, then they take two, right? And then you're definitely losing the price trade here. Um, so it's it's not... That easy off a price trade to do with with Palkia. Um, so if you get the turn two attack off with Arcus, like it's almost a little bit of if with Arcus or a little deck, right? Because it's not known to be the most consistent uh, deck in the world. Um, there are definitely some things that can go wrong for you when when you play it, but when uh, when you set up and you play well, you draw well, then it's it's really hard to stop sometimes. Um, so yeah. I in the matchup I was using Starmie for everything it was worth. Mm-hmm. Um so uh with Starmie I can knock out the Arcus after the first charge. And normally you have to two shot it, right? But with, with Starmie I could put a lot of pressure by just immediately carrying the Arcus. Either the basic or the V Star, right? Mm-hmm. Um And you would think that is like amazing, right? But it just gets knocked out straight uh uh, back again by the Duraludon taking choices. So it's it just trades evenly. But what it does, right, is that it blocks the second Duraludon from getting set up. 
And that's that's the big part here. Because if we can block the set second Druiden from getting energies, or even hit play at all, right? Then I only need to power through that one VMAX somehow, and then I will be able to win the game. Um, so essentially how both games played out, right? Or like all three games. We played three games. Um, game one, uh, I com come into a spot where I hit the Druiden VMAX I, with my Roxanne. Uh, put down Pat, um, because I had gotten the inside scoop from Fabian earlier that he played Elegos in his deck. Um, so I needed to put down Pat to block the um, Elegos from finding the boss's order he needed for game again, right? So I put down Pat, I put down Roxanne, I hit, I look at him, do you got it? And he just flashes me an Ultra Ball and two dead cards. So the Pat, uh, the Pat blocked the Elegos and I win the first game. So I was, I was pretty happy with that. I was like, okay, okay, we have a strat. We just need to hit them pat, okay? <laughs> that's that's how we get him. Winning game um, one always feels so good. It does, right? It does. Um, so, uh, second game, uh, he has a pretty weak opener. It looks like, at least, right, to me. Uh, opens Stroller, then benches and Arcus, attached double turbo. Um, and I'm like, okay, okay, that's fine. That's like three or four card hand. Um, and now I, I got a little bit baited because I naturally opened my pad, you know? So I was like, okay, I need this pad for my Roxanne play at the end of the game to block his Eldegoss, right? If the game just plays it out normally. But what if I play it now and he just misses the attack next turn and I just win because I can, um, I get my turn just now instead of later again, right? So that would be a way to just steal the game immediately and the greed got the best of me and i played it and what do you know it has to counter stadium in and and arcus so it didn't really pan out in the end i end up doing the same play but i don't have the path anymore so i roxanne him to two smack into the duraludon and he gets a ball for eldegos for boss <laughs> so i lose game two um which is like fair enough right i had put all my eggs in one basket in the early game by playing the pet, uh, hoping he breaked off of it and it didn't pan out. Um, so getting into game three, game three, uh, I end up pricing my Roxanne, and that's you know that's my game plan. <laughs> so <laughs> without my Roxanne, uh, I, I knock out an Arcus, I still miss it, and uh, I don't really have any good way of uh, of combating the deck anymore. Oh, I also miss like the turn one Palkia in play, which was a problem. Um, oh, so you're just like giving them an entire uh, extra turn then? Yeah. So even if I went first, since I missed the Palkia, it was basically like going second again. So it mm -hmm. didn't really matter. And then he got like an extra supporter to set up and ha had a good start, of course. Um, so that was that was an issue. And with the Roxanne price price as well, the uh, the end of game three was definitely the most convincing game for for him. In, in his favor, um, I uh, I was I was pretty checkmated the last three turns. I just I, tr I tried my best, but it was wasn't really much of an of of an outer. I was a turn behind, and I also had my comeback option in the prices, so it was uh, really difficult to do much there. Um, and then ended up losing. I think, like in retrospect, if I kept the pat, so I could jam down the pat um, in the second game together with Roxanne. Given that everything else in the game happened at the same, the same, uh, might have been able to steal that one too. Because I'm pretty sure you just got the ball out of the Roxanne, but 
it's hard to speculate on that later, right? Uh, but I, I think maybe, maybe I got a little bit greedy in the second game. And it was, it was completely fair, though. I had a lot of fun playing those games and <laughs> uh, like thinking about, about them afterwards. That's one of those ones where hindsight seems like, well, I have to, if I hold the path, I'm fine. But on the flip side, if you lose the game and they just go Arceus Starbirth without throwing down a stadium because they didn't have the counter stadium, you're in the exact same boat, right? Yeah, I mean, if he if he doesn't have the counter stadium, so then uh, he probably can't attack with Arceus next turn, and then I get the free attack. So then I will I'll just have taken the turn I wanted in the end game already, right? Because he, he missed an attack, so um, it would be it would be the same outcome. So I figured, ah, maybe Miles is better now if I play it immediately, but mm-hmm. in, in you know maybe it wasn't. Um, I'll also be honest, I haven't played that matchup a whole ton. I definitely haven't played against Rulodon <laughs> with with Eldegos before. Meaning I would meaning I would have to keep my path in the matchup, right? Path is something I would never bother with unless on the first turn of the game, right? So um if it was not for the Eldegos, I would always jam it at the time I did it, right? Because that's the only time it could be useful. But funnily enough, because he played Eldegos, enabling all his bolts to be out of, of Roxanne at the end of the game, then the fight the fight is really relevant at the end of it. Otherwise you always jam the the temple so that if he draws into double turbo, um then he can't hyper portion because then he can't attack. Because the double turbo will only be worth the one energy. Mm-hmm. That's a Eldegoss in that deck is such an interesting thing. Because you always have so many ball cards because you need them for early game consistency because your deck's a potato. But then also, exactly. they're, they're like still there, right? You just don't get rid of them once you set up. So it's, I, I don't think I'm bold enough to bring an Eldegoss and Arceus Duraludon, but it seems like a really cool choice. Yeah, I, I, I think I admire that uh, the pick of card as well. It, it seemed really cool. If you open with it, you can even shuffle it with a double turbo. So it's not the worst thing in the world. Um, board state wise either you can you, you lose a turn but you can you can at least get rid of it to force the double max still so i mean it's I, I think i think it was pretty cool it's also cool that you can combo it with bird keeper so that if you're up against something silly that just blocks your drilling from attacking right like reggae eyes or lapras paralyzed or whatever right you can uh, you can loop with uh, bird keeper eldegos so that gets you out of it but why are you calling Lapras Paralyzed silly? That's my favorite deck. I mean, it's good. It's good, right? But it's silly from Duraludon's perspective. That's fair. Are we going to see on Waterbox or NAIC? Waterbox is cool, though. I like that deck. <laughs> I love that deck. It's Not... so much fun. It's really good. I, I tested a lot for Milwaukee as well. It just didn't play too well into Palkia, and that was annoying. So... Maybe if you can find some good way of solving that, then it would be more uh, of an interesting pick. The way I described it to chat, I played it on stream uh, at the time, the day of recording. I played it in uh, Amy's weekly tournament, and I was describing it to chat. It's the difficulty of Rapid Strike Urshifu, but the reward isn't anywhere near as good. I don't know if you would agree or disagree with that statement. I mean, I guess it depends how it's built because you can, it's a box deck, right? So you can build it in, in a lot of different ways. That's true. But it, it, it really depends, though. It it's has a lot better Duraludon matchup than what Palkia has, that's for sure. You can, uh, 
you can crab that Duraludon <laughs> to oblivion and they can't do jack about it. All their healing cards are void and they can't really do much. It's really fun. The crab is amazing, especially against stuff that doesn't have healing. You drizzle your opponent and they're just like, what? And then the crab finishes off like everything in the format after that. It's so good. Speaking of NAIC. Oh, yeah, it's super fun. It's really, really fun. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of NAIC, let's uh, jump into a little bit about how we think the meta might be changing. Obviously, you don't have to leak anything that you don't want to, but I think the biggest thing moving forward is we already talked about Duraludon a bit. It got first. Blissey got second. Do you expect people to pick these two decks up do you expect them to see a greater amount of play at naic than they did in milwaukee or is this going to be one of those things where people look at the results and say that's cool looks like an online tournament and then continue on with their day like how are you expecting people to adapt to those two decks getting first split in second place no i um i think they will definitely see a little bit more play because unless the deck does well in an rl tournament people don't really take them serious but now it has right so now it's probably on a lot of people's radar of decks to uh, consider to test at least, right? Um, but what has happened so far in the format is that every time decks do well, then they get countered <laughs> like down down to the ground in the next tournament again, and it's really hard for them to do much. Um, so, say in this case, right? I would expect to see um, that. I see. Well, expect to see both of decks pick up a little bit more play. Not not anything crazy though. A little bit more play, and then um, all the other decks will play hard counters for them and have answers. Um, because no one wants to run into a mill tank and just call it a day, right? At NAIC, that sounds kind of silly. I don't think anyone will, will go into that tournament and say, Hey, I'll fault a mill tank, that's cool. <laughs> um, so I would definitely uh, think we'll see both decks be a little bit more respected going going forward but i don't think they will like take up the majority of the meta share in any way what about mew there was one mew in top eight and speaking of decks that like are quote-unquote respecting duraludon and miltank it feels like mew is that deck are you expecting people to come to that same conclusion or are people going to continue to shy away from mew despite its obvious power level I mean, it's still like a decent amount of Mew running around. There was a decent amount of Mew running around at Milwaukee as well, right? I wasn't there. I don't actually know. I'm waiting for RK9 is going to release the meta share sometime in the next few days. They tweeted out, but I don't know it yet. <laughs> so I don't know how much Mew there was or wasn't. All right, fair enough, fair enough. I, I, I saw a decent amount of Mew uh, being played at, at the tournament and, and the day before. Um, so I, I still expect Mew to be one of those, like, Really good represented decks um, in in the meta game. I also thought that it would do really well at this tournament because all the focus was on Palkia, right? But nothing had happened to Mew. Mew was still like on the same level as Palkia, you know. <laughs> um, so uh, it's it's out there. It's it's a really good deck. And whenever it's funny though, like whenever people like pick up Mew for the first time and start playing it, everyone says the same. Like everyone comes to the same conclusion, they say, "Man, this deck is broken. Why isn't everyone playing this?" That's, <laughs> that's like whatever everyone that picks up the deck for the first time says, right? So yeah. it kind of makes sense that it will always see a lot of play. Like drawing 15 cards before your supporter and just 
being able to dunk and like being able to heal it has it has like all the tricks is in it's in theory just the perfect deck um the uh i guess the struggle it has is it's like it's very targeted still um less targeted now there's more focus on palkia um but it's still targeted and um, you play a dump and draw engine so you can draw the cards in the wrong order and you can't really do that much about it like if you draw two or three tablets in the first 15 cards you are losing out a lot on the power level in your deck and uh, that's not your fault you just happen to draw the cards in the wrong order and uh, now we're kind of stuck with with the consequences so I need you to settle the long-term argument that's been happening for the last three weeks of this format. Who is favored, Mew or Palkia? Well, I think it's I think it's pretty even, and it depends on the list both players run. Um, but I think if you have um, if you have the Pat and Roxanne combo in Palkia, then that's a win condition on its own, right? And uh, it's also, like, thanks to Greninja, it's relatively easy to win in three attacks. If you, like, saw my last uh, stream game against uh, against Rowan uh, for the winning in, then um, I, I basically did the same thing both games. Uh, it doesn't always work as easily because your opponent can't put down Oricore, right? That will uh, deny the uh, the snipe off of... Um, like Mew Max into Meleta, but even then, you can still just, like, hit the Mew Max. then, depending on what the opponents do, right, you can then either hit the other Mew Max or you can just Greninja right away and knock out the Mew Max and set up the other one. Um, so that you can take advantage of, like, the almost knockout and instead setting up the other one for a knockout as well, so... It's it's not too difficult to win in three attacks anymore in that matchup, and you can do it on either two V maxes, one V max, one single pricer, or sometimes you can even do three double pricers. I played against a Mew in day two as well, where I did the three double pricer plan uh, twice. So I just went like boss, boss, boss every time, um, or like the, I guess the, I guess the first knockout was just. Sitting in the active and then have the boss even. So I just like bossed twice after. Okay, I was gonna say your list plays two boss. Can you tell me how you pulled off three bosses in a game? <laughs> no, nah, I mean I palpated one of the games. That was fine. Oh, of course that makes yeah, yeah. I, I miss the palpate. Then I actually, then I mean then I then I actually yeah, I think I think came to actually used boss three times in a row. I was <laughs> was promoting pr- promoting a record like okay boss and boss again palpate and then put on the final boss i was okay oh that works oh they're going for the psychic leap plays Nah, I, they, they couldn't because i just bossed three times so <laughs> i never hit into the movie max oh that's gross okay you were carrying muse not the genesex yeah, yeah like you, you you can knock out Mew as well i think i knocked out one Mew that had a fusion energy just so you can prevent the one shot um with with Melata as well. I, I, I always like to target down the fusion energy if I can to block the Melata play. Yeah, that's some of the best advice for anyone who hasn't played, didn't play Arceus in the last format, and I'm assuming Palkia is the exact same in this format. Any of these 280 HP V stars, KOing fusion strike energies early will help you so much. 
Just yeah, it doesn't matter what it's what it's attached to. Just take the knockout on it and and run. <laughs> so. Oh yeah, it's Oracorio Genesect. It doesn't matter. You you go get rid of a fusion strike energy, so I can't Oko you with four of them on the field, and you will thank yourself later in the game. Yeah, most most players like aren't really thinking like valuing the fusion energy as hard as they as they could. So they often end up on a double pricer, which is your preferred target anyway when you start the boss game, right? So. Um, if if it's on a double pricer, then you have an easy time. If it's on a single pricer, you need to like wait it a little bit more. But you you should usually target it anyway. Except, I guess the big one would be, and I've said this before on the podcast. I've said this on stream. I've said this on YouTube. Mew players, you don't have to KO a Sobble for two hundred and ten damage. Like, if you KO that Sobble with Melodious Echo for two ten, and let me remove two Fusion Strike energies from play. I'm winning the game every single time. <laughs> Please don't do that. Or do do that. I guess I mean, it depends who you're rooting for. Yeah, I mean, you you, you would like that, right? So please do that <laughs> if you, if you want to help out, help out Mellow here. Um, now, I mean, that's that's a thing as well, right? Even if you can't take a knockout, it's not always advantageous for your board position to do that. Especially with Roxanne, who's talked about in the format right now. If you take that knockout on Sobol, that plays out into you taking knockout on Arcus, and then you get Roxanne patted into uh, the ground again. So that might not be the best idea. And last big deck for NASC that I want to bring up is arguably the best deck in the format. I think you can agree with that. And it's just so underrepresented this last tournament. Reggie Gigas. Did Reggie prove that it's just not good enough to hang after Milwaukee? Or is NAIC the chance for Reggie to take all eight spots in top eight? Well, uh, <laughs> the, thing, the, thing is, the thing is, right, with, with Reggie is that um, it is really, really good, but there are a couple cards that you can jam into basically anything. That's really annoying for it. So it depends how many of those cards you expect to face, right? Um, a big one is Collapse Stadium. That that one's really annoying. Because um, not only do you need to find the Counter Stadium uh, and a new Reggie, but you need to find the freaking Counter Stadium before the Reggie. So if you have a ton of ball outs, but not the Stadium yet in your hand, and usually like have to get a new hand, right? When you play Reggie, like Marnie or Research or whatever. Um, then you need to find the regulation <laughs> because you, you don't have that one anymore. Uh, so it's it, it's just such, a, such an annoying state to deal with. Um, you also have Avery forcing you to find not only the active Pokemon, like the regular that got knocked out, but you also need to find two more that you had to discard off the bench again. Like really digs into the amount of resources you have. So Avery is super annoying. Collapse Stadium really annoying. Temple means that you can't even attack if you miss that Counter Stadium. Um, so that one's also pretty pretty rough to deal with. Uh, so you you don't really enjoy stadiums too much. So you want to have a, a ton of uh, outs for them in your deck. Um, and then you also have uh, stuff like Tool Jammer in Palkia. It basically guarantees that Palkia is is trading evenly when it attacks. Um, that was like one of the big reasons I I played Jammer, um, especially against the Reggie matchup. It's really good. Um, on top of that, though, if you do play the Cheryl, as I did in Palkia, then the Reggie matchup is incredibly good because you can heal heal off the 
Palkia with the jammer. <laughs> so that the Palkia with jammer takes at least three prizes. And that's that's really good. That that probably just wins the game. Um that's not even counting Roxanne plus Sinnoh. Yeah, that's not even counting that uh you have more ways to like scam them for a turn, right? So um that's like a guaranteed three prize swing with with that Palkia. Um like you only really gaining one turn on them because of Roxanne, because like if they're spending three attacks and um because you're Gerald, they're still getting two prices. So like you're getting one turn, but it's pretty easy to attack every turn and one turn is huge, right? Especially if you had were that one one that attacked first. Um like Reggie doesn't always get that turn one attack off, right? I mean it's it, it's kinda of difficult. <laughs> no, it, if it did that it would actually be uh probably a tier one deck. But mm-hmm. uh I don't know what the consistency of the turn two attack is, but that's also not 100%. Yeah, you start struggling if you miss the turn two attack as well, especially if your opponent went first. But if you went second, it shouldn't be that difficult because you get to support her twice, right? So you should should oftentimes should often be able to pull off the turn two attack at the very least. Um, <laughs> should, yes, I agree. I mean, you should, right? You don't, you don't, you don't always do it, which is, which is the issue. But if you do, then you're doing pretty well. Um, then the deck usually just are able to cycle itself pretty well from there. But you still have all these annoying cards I, I spoke about. There's also a problem that, like, it, the deck isn't really dealing well with Arcus, with Unsparse and Charon. Um because you can't you can't one shot and then they just heal each turn and you don't have any good plan of attack. Um so that's that's also like another main issue the deck is dealing with. But the deck is really good against Palkia in general, especially Untacked Palkia. Um that doesn't play Jammer and Cheryl. <laughs> Otherwise the matchup is like pretty pretty good for it, I think. Um and then it's also really good against uh, Mew. Mew doesn't have any great ways of dealing with the regis either. They're really tanky, so like a clip is pretty hard to pull off against them. You need double tablet and no double turbo attached to Mew. So it's it's hard to shuffle. You get one shot. Everything you have in your deck gets one shot. And uh yeah, it's 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 a hard time. You only get every getting one prize and you're not playing much hand disruption or any awkward stadiums for them to deal with. So Mew Mew is having a hard time dealing with that matchup as well. So, one last question for NAIC. I'm going to need a prediction from you. Do you expect that one of the decks that makes top eight will be a completely unknown or unknown-ish deck? Or do you think everything in top eight is going to be things we've already seen before, just slightly different? Do you will see any new concepts, completely new concepts? Specifically in, in top what? eight, not like oh, someone's going to top thirty-two with I don't know. I was yeah, trying to think of something. Yeah, yeah. no, a top eight, right? Like run the whole gauntlet with with something new they That's, created in the bedroom, right? Yeah. Last NAIC, um, we did see Spirit Tomb. I believe that was the last one, right? And the last one, wait, no, the last NAIC was won by a completely new concept, and that was the checkmate. Yeah, yeah. That was um, that, that was Stefano, right? Yeah, yeah. So is that going to happen yes. again, or are you saying it's all going to be stuff we've already seen? 
I mean, it could happen, but my my predictions this time is a no. Actually, I I definitely think we can see new versions of already known concepts, but uh, my 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 bet will be on no this time. I will maybe I'll, I'll change my mind on, on Thursday. I'll let you know. But <laughs> <laughs> depends what you submit as your deck list. <laughs> exactly right. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not that cocky. I I wouldn't say that. I I I I I think we have pretty okay defined meta right now. Um, there's so there's so many like tournaments and information being spread that there's definitely harder to come up with new concepts now, but it can happen, of course. But I I I, f- I feel safer saying no this time. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna take the yes. I think there, there's gonna be something. Maybe not absolutely ridiculous, but uh, something that would have shown up as other on one of the Limitless tournaments is going to show up and be like, oh, wait, yeah, that's actually, that's kind of cute. Okay, that works. I think this will be the tournament. This will be the one where you're like, it's not going to be like a groundbreaking, what an absolutely broken like Eldegoss loops type thing, but it's going to be something where you're like, oh, okay, that's kind of sick, actually. Good job. At least I'm hoping. I mean, I mean, I know I know Sandra is coming. He's going to play some sort of control shenanigans. So if anything, it will be on him, I think. <laughs> but I don't know. We will we will see. I, I'm really looking forward to it, though. Like the, these big tournaments is is always a blast, and uh, people are putting a lot of effort into them. And uh, I, I can't I can't really wait to see to see what people come up with. I can't wait either. Toward I'll be rooting for you. I'm going to be back in Washington, but. I'll, I'll I'll be sending me I'll be sending you some good energy to take that dub and regain your title. Awesome, awesome! Thank you so much. I will I will I'll try my best. You know, <laughs> Tord. If people want more of you, where can they find you? Uh you can find me on Twitter. That's just my name, Tord Reklev. Um, you can also find me on Twitch. I'm a streaming on uh, tcg park on twitch uh five days a week or so um unless when i'm traveling it's a little bit less right now but normally a lot so you can find me there um and we'll be streaming in and talking and we can hang out and yeah and of course myself you can find me on twitch twitter and youtube at mellow underscore magikarp this has been another episode of the lake of rage podcast we'll catch you all next week